welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. My name is Andrew. And today we're going to talk about, wait for it. Uh, yeah. Wait, wait for it. Okay. Wait for it. I've been waiting! Patience! We're going to talk about patience, in a way. In a way. Like going to the doctor's office? Not like being a patient, like the noun, but patience, like the virtue slash verb. Or patience, the planet in Firefly. No, it wasn't a, no, patience wasn't a planet in Firefly. Patience was the, um, oh goodness, I need to watch that show again. Patience was. You could say literally anything and I would not know if you were lying to me. No, uh, Patience was the gang leader in episode two. Now, so now, shoot, now I'm going to embarrass myself. I was. Uh, You're so, you were so confident. I was. You just came out so confident and just really mucked it up. I did muck it up, but uh, I, <laughs> my brain is recovering. It was 100% uh, the gang leader in episode two of Firefly, the series. Mm, Which, I'm, as much I'm, as I love that show, has not aged well and would not have gone over as well in this day and age. Yeah, but that's a lot of things. I, I've chosen to look past its uh, crucial flaws in terms of, you know, social wokeness and uh, just enjoy it for what it is. Should I? I mean, that's I your, that's, no, that's your prerogative. Um, but first, I, uh, I'm drinking a gin and tonic. What are you drinking? I. I uh, have not had it yet, but I am about to take a sip of something I haven't ever tried before, which is, I shall read it, uh, this is a uh, a smoke beer, which I've had smoke beers before, but specifically in a, uh, a Martzen smoke beer. Martzen is a fall favorite German beer, uh, often referred to as Oktoberfest, and this one just happens to be smoky as well. So I, I've had smoke beers. I've had Martins. I have not had a Martin smoke beer, and I'm kind of frightened by it. It's actually Super. kind of fun. Uh, my wife bought it for me on accident because it says Oktoberfest on it, but like most of it's in German. And oh. it wasn't clear that it w- was what it was. So I've been keeping it in the cabinet waiting for a chance to uh, – waiting for a good time to try it. And I feel like now is as good of, of uh, a time as any. Yes, I think We've so. Been, Running the fireplace uh, a bit lately, and the house smells like smoke anyway, so might as well. Well, I have a gas fireplace, so it's just doesn't smell like anything. Wood fireplace is one hundred percent the way to go. Uh, for smells, for convenience, maybe not. But what does a gas fireplace really accomplish? It makes the house warm. But isn't that what heaters are for? It. This heats the room that we spend most of our time in a lot better than our heater. Well, and it's also, I think, probably a little bit cheaper. That is true. Wood is expensive around here. I've been putting off trying to find like somewhere that'll sell like a cord of wood just to throw in the backyard. But it has you have to dry it out, so it has to be like covered really well and cured. Yeah, I've got uh, wood curing my back porch right now. Yeah. That I'm rather impatient and I will burn occasionally, but yeah, probably shouldn't, nah. but you know, well, I mean, that's your loss. If you're not patient, 
enough. <laughs> Anyways, I. <sighs> long story short, I'm sick and tired of paying like five dollars for like three little sticks at the grocery store you, every time I want to. You need to. I need to send you a video that um my brother-in-law played for me and the whole family the other day at Thanksgiving. It was uh, a, a a spoof video of a um like a hipster fire like artisan firewood oh no it was beautiful it was it was it was it wasn't real but like it was very well done that sounds so that sounds like a real thing i can see where it's going and i just based on the concept i've got like eight different punchlines running in my head pretty amazing already oh well just keep them to yourself please Yeah, I won't want to torment anyone with it. No, no, no. All right. Well, here goes nothing. Here's a sip of smoke beer. At least you stopped. At least you stopped reading that, that that from that joke book. Yeah, I haven't found it since we moved. Ah. You know that's actually one of the best smoke beers I've ever had. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. That that plays really well together. I don't typically like smoke beers all that much. They tend to be a bit much. This one's um. Actually, pretty smooth. I like that. <laughs> it reminds me of um. Oh, it reminds me of uh, that smoky tea, um, Lapsang Sushong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a throwback to a topic of a uh, of last year's yeah. worth of episodes. Yes, that was that's a throwback. Yeah, so this is basically Lapsang Sushong, but like beer. And it still has notes of bacon in it, which is pretty good. <laughs> I'm sorry. My basis just sent me a, the whole group a picture of uh, what I thought was a cigar, them smoking a cigar. And then in the comments, they say, that is a seven gram blunt, by the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope your friends are okay. I hope they don't overdose on weed. I don't think that's the thing. They're, they're, <laughs> that's the joke. They're they're a pro. They're a pro. I even if they were smoking a cigar, I'd look. I'd be like, I think you might barf later because that's the experience I've had every time a friend has like just smoked a cigar. They always barf. But that's that. That's that has we've lost so many people by now. The people who don't agree with the smoking of the weed. It's seven grand blunt. What? <laughs> This is a guitar podcast. Well, moving on. Uh, this is actually a cat's podcast. And how is Princess oh, Carrie Fisher Princess doing? Princess Carrie is a good girl. She's it's it's getting colder, so she's snuggling up a lot closer to like my midsection because that is where the warmth lives. So at night, she's a, a, so much more snuggly, and it's kind of the best. No, she's a good girl. How's Poppy and um, Percy? Poppy and Percy are good. They are overjoyed to have the Christmas tree. They haven't broken anything yet, but yet. holding my breath. Who do you think is more likely to break um, a, an ornament? Uh, Poppy, Percy, or your child? Percy is a guarantee. Percy is a guarantee. Percy is a pro with Christmas trees. So here's the thing. Is, Percy's uh, enormous. I think Percy might be bigger than your child. That is entirely likely. Uh, so here's the thing with, so Percy's been around long enough to have had several Christmas trees and every year he breaks something. It's just inevitable. Uh, so anything that's hung on the lower third of the tree is fair game. Um, but it's always ever one, one ornament. 
And then that's the end of it for the season. And he's never knocked over the whole tree. Interesting. Knock on wood. So we'll see. Now, by comparison, Poppy has never actually been around a Christmas tree of this proportion. Because this is our first year since we've had Poppy that we've um, been in a house. And so we were never, we never put a Christmas, like a full size Christmas tree in our apartment uh, wherever we lived. So we've mm-hmm. actually had like a little, like $3, like fake Christmas tree from Target. And we'll put like on the, on the mantle of, the, of like a fireplace or on, um, I think one year we put it on our entertainment center. Um, yeah. So that's been our Christmas tree for several, several years now. So Poppy hasn't been around full size Christmas tree and she is, so curious and enthralled, and I'm hoping she doesn't break anything, but I'm almost wondering if that doesn't make it more inevitable that she will break several things out of as she explores. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, well, we will. To be continued. Yeah. Um. Cool. Uh. Yeah, I don't. Ha- I haven't put up a Christmas tree yet. I think that we probably will. Um, because we are going to be in, in town this year at Christmas. My mom and my dad are flying up. Uh, my niece's uh-huh. birthday is just a few days before Christmas, so it's going to be really fun for her. I got her already because Lug, that little kitty guitar company, like they sell like three uh-huh. strings. It's just like the top three strings of a, a guitar. It's acoustic. It's like nylon strings. Um, oh, fun. Yeah, so they have their only sale of the year on uh, like Black Friday through Cyber Monday, so I picked up one of those for her because... She has always been really into guitar, not just because of me. I think in no small part, the movie Coco, she really was obsessed with the movie Coco for a long time. And so she's always really into seeing me play guitar and she'll come up and she'll like, I'll show her how to like strum it while I, you know, chord with my, with my left hand. And it's always really cute. So uh, those Lou guitars though, um, they come, I think they come with an app that you can use for lessons. They definitely come with flashcards, which is pretty cool, with the chord shapes. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hopeful that since she's so into it, uh, the guitars in general, that she'll have fun playing around. She has like an electronic guitar that's a little bit more like a Guitar Hero guitar with just like buttons on it. And uh, since she's three, or about to be three, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think she's going to dig it. Very cool. I hope she does. I'm looking at getting a uh, a Siegel Merlin, which is a dulcimer, technically four strings, but um, two of them are doubled up on each other, so it's like three strings. But it's a dulcimer, uh, is what it officially is. But it kind of just functions like a little three string oh, cool. guitar, um, and it's uh, it's fretted to be diatonic. Oh, so interesting. you can't really play a wrong note. Um. Which I, I feel like that that would be like padding things for my child a little bit too much. At the same time, I I don't want them to get upset with the process. Totally, totally. And I feel like if I give them something where they can't play a wrong note and they can start to get a, a feel naturally for the major scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like four of the th- uh, three of the four strings are tuned to the root note and the other one is naturally tuned to the fifth. But you can basically... T- the rest of them basically function like drone strings. You just really have to use one string to get a full melody going. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's super simple, super straightforward. 
but I'm planning on getting the little one that for Christmas. Oh, they'll uh, really like that. I, I think. I mean, I would have loved that when I was a kid. How old are they again? Roundabouts. Um, uh, about a year older than your niece. Cool. So yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, huh. also just kind of excited to get one of those because I want one for me too. <laughs> I get. I yeah. I get that. Not gonna lie, I will definitely be also playing it uh, to be ins- to inspire them. That's that's the goal, right? To inspire, to teach. It doesn't have a pickup on it, so I can't run it through pedals. So. <sighs> you know, I hook up a microphone. I am going to uh, be reviewing the the Maw from Old Blood Noise. I think. Um, right. So maybe maybe hook up a microphone to that. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I just sold a couple pedals on Reverb.com, which is exciting. Fun. What did you sell? I sold uh, two loopers that I don't need anymore since uh, Boss so graciously has sent us the RC10R to nice to uh, review. Um, so it's basically the backbone of our demo channel now. So I don't need the other loopers. Nice. Mm-hmm. I I've been considering selling some things, but. To I think I'm gonna wait till after Christmas time. Um, I admittedly was in a bit of a mood the other day and started to line up my pedals and go, hmm. All right, so which one of you are going? Yeah, they can't all stay. One of you's got to go. Uh, so I, I I haven't listened to anything yet. I think I'm gonna wait till after Christmas and and uh, pump the brakes a little bit. But thinking about moving a couple of things in the meantime, I did just order uh, a whole bunch of wiring. So I ordered a spool of wire and I'm considering redoing my harness on my Jazzmaster for practice. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's uh, a lot of practice, friend. <laughs> well, so I'd be, I, I would retain the existing electronics. I'd literally just be doing the wire. What, like one at uh, a time? Yeah. So then that, that feels like it would be good practice. If I screw anything up, I can replace um, an electronic part pr- for pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my goal is to be able to do it in a really neat way right now. Um, it's all the stock wiring underneath mm-hmm. and it's super messy and it's a pain to get the, the pit guard back on, um, every time I take it off. So I feel like if I take it off and I just spend some time with it, uh, get the hang of it, get some cleaner wires on there. And then from there, I can maybe look at replacing a couple of parts if I feel yeah, like Yeah, no, I've had that problem with, um, every Mustang I've ever wired up. It's just, there's not enough space under those. I, like, I see pictures like from um, like Curtis Lamberton's posted a couple of photos of uh, his new Ristretto's uh, on a uh, Jazzmaster pit guard and just the way it's all wired up, all super neat. And it just looks so nice. And I know that I don't see that while I'm playing, but it'd be nice to know that that's sitting on <laughs> uh, I did get the wire in orange. Uh, of course. You um, coating. Because of so course. I don't know when I'll get around to doing this, but I, I, I've got it ordered and it's uh, on tap. Yeah. And I also got, um, I finally... Got a chance to get into my compressor that I bought at the Tacoma Guitar Show. Um, and the issue with it is when it's engaged, everything works great. You go to disengage it and signal doesn't pass. Uh. And I checked all the connections um, on the PCB um, for the foot switch and nothing seems to be having an issue and nothing seems to be busted. Like, like there's no bulging caps. Like There's nothing that seems apparent. 
So I, while I was at it putting in an order, I threw in a replacement foot switch for that. So I'm going to swap out the foot switch and I'm going to see if that doesn't fix yeah, it. Yeah, start with the easy fixes. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And one of the things I'm looking at doing is setting up a baseboard and electric board separately. And I think I'll actually uh, use the Ibanez compressor for uh, my guitar sound. Uh, it It's not a transparent compression sound, but I really like how... I really like the, the character that adds to it. And my uh, Earthquaker Devices Warden is my other comp that I've had in my electric board. And it sounds great, but it sounds really good on bass to my ears. So, yeah. That'll kind of give me a comp for each board is the hope. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, I paid 10 bucks for the Ibanez compressor and shoot. Oh, well. It's yeah, it's just 10 bucks. I mean, it works... I don't know how many people turn compressors off. Yeah, well, I would I would probably set this one to be super squishy, mm-hmm. um, like a, a very compressed sound, because I, I like that for like super chimey cleans and or um, leads, but not necessarily necessarily for rhythm and whatnot. Yeah. So it would be a, I, I'd like to be able to set it as a really heavy effect and then have the option to disengage. I'm actually I'm actually we'll selling see. my uh, Keeley comp. Oh, really? Well, I have that Fender um, compressor oh, yeah, distortion yeah. now. The Kampujas? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I just don't use a compressor that much. I've used it in country stuff some. I figure if I just have a compressor, it's fine. And also, the H9 has a very nice compressor setting on it. Uh, right. It's actually called con- Country Calm. Running it after the drives? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, for like, if I'm actually doing like compression, typically I'm probably not playing a very distorted signal because I mostly use compression for country gigs. So like slide parts and stuff or? No, just like chicken picking. Oh. Very sweet. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I would probably just kind of crank the gain a little bit on my amp and then the compression would still be before the gain. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Pedals aren't everything. Though they kind of are now, for, they are kind of in my world right now, but I think they're pretty great. I, yeah. I, I I have a tendency to like them. There are some pedals that I uh filmed demos for recently. And there's one like I the ones I prioritized are ones that I kind of wanted to sell because I bought some new things recently, just want to kind of get that cash flow back back in a little bit uh, because I'm not the fastest about sending out invoices, which is stupid on my part. Um, But uh, I, there's, I, I plugged in the, the ghoul by Matthews effects because I just haven't, I haven't played it very much. I was like, Oh, I'll probably just, you know, get like self list this for, you know, a little less than I paid for it. I plug it in. I play it. I film the demo. I go back. I'm like, Oh, I can't sell this. This sounds great. I forgot. That one was really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds very good. Uh, I. But if you're not using it, I, I know of a shelf where you could store it. Hey, I, hey I've cleared off some shelf space, mister. <laughs> Just saying, anytime you, you uh, some pedals need some refuge. <laughs> uh, let me think about that. This is a safe space for pedals. No, I, uh, no, I, I, I don't really have a lot of gigs right now where I'm doing a lot of uh, distortion or fuzz or 
anything like that. But I do like playing with, with some fuzz on my own. I picked up the um, Pelotar, the Germanian Pelotar that Leon and Brian. Nice. Yeah, so that's why I'm selling some stuff, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems worth it. Yeah. I mean, I love the half horse so much, and that's been on loan to a friend for a few months. Um, and I know the Pelotar, like half of the Pelotar is the half horse. And then, like, my favorite right. part of the Mount Hood is the Germanium Boost. So to have, like, one of Brian's Germanium Boosts and the Pelotar with separate foot switches, I think, uh, I think I'm going to like it. I didn't really have to think about buying that one too much. For sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. For sure. For sure. But yeah. I, have to, I have to be patient because uh, some of the things I've ordered recently still need to be built. Patience is the theme of today's episode. Sponsored by uh, Electronic Audio Experiments. Uh, that would be the company owned by uh, the John Snyder, the genius John Snyder, the John Snyder who is one of the most skilled pedal designers slash builders in the industry, uh, recently sent us the Halberd to demo it's a it's a what, medium what? light to medium overdrive and uh it shouldn't be surprise anybody that it sounds fantastic check out the demo i have it running through the milkman the amp in the demo um loop by the boss rc 10r uh yeah no it's it's lovely it, it's like the the bass and the pre or the the amount of gain interact really well and interestingly with each other. So those are the two knobs on the right. And then the two knobs on the left are essentially the output and the treble. And then they work really, they, they work really well together. So I love it when you have those kinds of relationships and when you find them in your pounds, like, Ooh, yeah. Cause that's, that's where you really get those sweet spots. But anyway, this episode is sponsored by electronic audio experiments. And this episode is also sponsored by Greer Amplification, who is owned by Nick Greer, uh, who's an incredible human. You should support them just on the basis of that. Uh, also on the basis, uh, fun fact on Nick's Facebook profile, uh, they're listed as uh, founder at Greer Amplification with the other job being listed as herder of cats. Yes, we respect that. And we I got to say, respect that. hats off. I I could not be more proud. Nick is one of the sweetest people in the biz, in my opinion. Um, I, I find him very inspirational on a lot of levels. Um, I love on his on his page how much he talks about just you know taking care of yourself, and I know that we care a lot about self care, um, and that means different things to different people. So it's really been been all, it's always cool to see other people talk about what that means to him. I know lately for him it's been you know hitting the gym whenever, whenever he can, whenever he's feeling stressed or, or bad. And you know, that works for a lot of people. And I just like kudos to anyone who ever finds that thing that works for them. Whatever keeps him building awesome pedals, like the Gorilla Warfare Mark II, uh, a rat based pedal with the, that famous LM 308 chip that we were talking about last episode. Can never have enough rat. There's just no such thing. No. Well, I mean, you, you, probably, you probably don't want a rat in your cob salad. I mean, have you ever had rat though? Have you ever seen Talladega Nights? 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. That took you a second. Rats and, she just got rats in my cob salad. <laughs> That's one of Rick's favorite quotes from that movie or any movie, period. And I love Near him so much. Six for it. pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. The uh, baby Jesus is my favorite. Anarchy. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I love it. Crepes. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I love that movie oh my so god much. just mo most stuff and elvis costello randomly hanging out with sasha baron cohen like Ricky right. bobby i thought you were dead <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my god okay about 30 kilograms of columbia bam bam strapped underneath this car <laughs> are those are those the other cars <laughs> I just remember working at the F1 racetrack in my little golf cart going around while the other actual F1 cars were practicing going 300 kilometers an hour, me topping out maybe 20 kilometers an hour, just like going like side by side. I felt like Ricky Bobby. Are those the other cars? <laughs> oh my God. Oh. That was, that was great. That was before I got that punched while working. so screwed up. Yeah. Have you ever been punched while working? I have. <laughs> Um, I don't think it should surprise any of our listeners I've been punched, but No, I haven't been punched. I've been pushed, but I haven't been punched. Oh, I was punched. No. Oh. In the shoulder. Like I... like it. He hit like a funny like punch in the shoulder or like someone was mad that no. no, like f you, you blocked my shot throw one at me grown-ass man i was like 24 years old i'm like it was a, that's a story for another time but basically uh i think he, then he grabbed my credentials to see who the hell i was he's like you blocked my shot i came all the way from the uk to get a picture of the star of the race I'm like, well, then maybe you shouldn't have been like standing in a place where your shot could get blocked that easily he grabbed my credentials to see who I worked for. So I just worked for the racetrack, dropped my credentials, covered his, and turned away and like basically ran away like a little baby. <laughs> He's like, oh, sh I just punched the wrong person. Yes. Well, you should never punch a person while you're working. That's very unprofessional. It wasn't the hardest punch. If you're a boxer, that's the most professional thing you Fair can do. Fair game. Yes. Well, if before we get too far off the topic, uh, uh, sort of to brag a little bit about going to uh, Nam, but also to to say some nice things. Uh, I've had my tickets to get there uh, for a little bit now, and I've had a little bit of time to process. Like, oh my god, I'm going to Nam! I'm going to Nam! I'm going to Nam! I'm going to Nam! Uh, and I can't help but think of all the people that I'm hoping to see there. And there's some really great people that are going to be there. And one of the names that pops with that list is Nick Greer. And that, like, it's not just oh, like yeah. I'm excited for the idea to like to get to meet them. But I'm also like, oh, wow, that would be like one of those that would make my trip sort of deal. Oh, you'll, you'll get to meet Nick. You should reach out. So. You should just like send him a Facebook message or something. I, I should. So I, I'm pretty excited. And, and Andrew, you should get me a get me a get me a career hat. I want to I only have so much room in my luggage and I want a hat. <laughs> Let's tell him it's for Emily. Well, you well, wear one, wear both. Uh, we will see. Tell uh, Nick I'll trade him hat. I'll trade him for a. I'll but, trade him for a hat. You know, if the rate, if, if the rate I'm going, I'm gonna end up like in the TSA line trying to take off like all thirty of my hats. They've they've seen weirder things. What's I'm, the weirdest thing you've ever seen in a TSA line? Mine is the guy who 
had his luggage was in a trash bag. I've seen that before. Uh, that's that not the. That's sad. If it fits, it ships. That's just so sad to me. Um, I'm trying to think. What is the weirdest thing I've seen? Um, I mean, I got profiled at a TSA line once, but that's. I believe that. That was well. It wasn't TSA. It was it was the German equivalent of the TSA, which they're pretty frightening. Uh, <laughs> Germans are pretty frightening. So here's the thing. That's why I respect them so much. Well, I I respect them, but they're also like, there's no getting around it that they're um, racist. Isn't the term I'm looking for, but like, it could be interpreted their their um, their frankness of and the way that they're they operate in the world of this is the way the world is, uh, can be perceived as such. And well, Western Europeans, there's a lot of racism towards Eastern Europeans and people who are of the Roma descent or that corner of the planet. But again, I feel like we just are getting so, so far away from everything. Okay, but I have to finish telling the story super quick. Yeah, that's fair. So super quick. So anyways, long story short, the the relationship of race is quite complicated uh, over in that region of the world uh, in a way that it not necessarily more or less complicated than America, just different. And if you've ever seen a picture of me, I look pretty white, but when I'm in Germany, like the thing is people are white, white over there. And I, I don't yeah, look, you're, you're, you're American white. You're not like Northern European white. And so uh, I, I'm a portion Lebanese by history, not by culture, just by bloodline. And it shows just enough in me where I was flagged. And I remember like being like told, like they took my luggage away and like left my site and like, you got to follow us kind of thing. And they're heavy German. And I got like, was put in a room with, uh, and I remember sitting like this super uncomfortable aluminum chair and looking at the other people, like there's like this waiting room to be questioned and everybody else in there was a guy. Uh, but I was the, they all had facial hair, which at the time I had pretty scruffy facial hair. Uh, but I was the only one that didn't have a turban. And it was really, really strange. And it, they they let me pass pretty quickly. After, they like t- pulled me into a, a secondary room, like a couple of German guys to question me, like what I was doing. Uh, but it was really strange. Uh, this would have been like 2013, 2014. That's so. not even that long ago. It, and y- you know, I'm is trying what... to say if I want to bleep this episode of or if I'm just gonna ignore it. So that, that, that story is what it is. It's just super surreal. Uh, I cannot yeah, stress how good. strange that was. Um, yeah. Cause that for the most part, the fact that I happen to distantly have some of that in my blood, uh, hasn't primarily been an issue ever, um, with a couple of exceptions, but that was just, yeah. So long story short, super strange. That would be the strangest thing I've experienced in any sort of TSA setting. Yeah. That's not great. So moving forward, yeah. yes, we've got the responses. We 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 have I'm, more than. I just like I would also now like to apologize to Nick Greer for turning his sponsorship spot into talking about German racism. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's a com- and I I'm so hesitant to say like, I don't know, I hesitant to say, I'm hesitant to say it, and I I'm not I'm not going to go as far as to say that, and it just will simply acknowledge that the world at large tends to be a little bit more complicated and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. 
Well, to everyone who's still with us, thank you for your patience. <laughs> Today Indeed. we're going to talk about to talk, talk more about patience. Patience. Um, yeah. So I, I was I I swear I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and I just thought about how um, the record that my my band has recorded that's uh, getting closer to finding a, a distribution home for that was probably finished recording in May and the masters were released to us a few weeks ago and we're still literally months away from releasing it. Um, and it reminded me of my, my friend Brian who wrote, uh, that co-wrote with Ashley Gorley, the song, uh, yeah, that Joe Nichols number one hit a few years ago and conversations I had with him at the time about that and, uh, how, he said that it was so weird that people would come up to him and say, you know, oh, that's such a great song. I really love that song. And people were responding well to it. And him being like, I wrote that song like five years ago. And just like the amount of waiting that exists in the music business that uh, I think a lot of people find frustrating. And how that kind of ties in a little bit to um, sort of how I do a lot of my work i mean the way i film my my gear demos i mean i can film five or six of them in a night um editing them takes maybe 30 to 45 minutes per video uh, not counting rendering and uploading time which is a lot longer um and the the idea that i have of pacing content out instead of just like batch releasing it all at once um and I don't know, I just, I, I know that some of our listeners have talked about, want us to talk a little bit more about, you know, what's it like to be in a band or what's it like to um, be involved in the music industry and working in, in, in realms like that. And I think that one of the things that's not often talked about in the music industry is just the amount of waiting around you do, whether it be getting to a gig at 4.30 to play a spot at 10.30 or uh, recording an album and then having it be released next year and by then you may have already written the next album and then you're still playing all these songs that are old or, or um, filming a demo and wanting to talk about it because you're so excited about it and having to wait a month before you release it just so you don't inundate subscribers and get unfollows uh, because of that. And yeah, I don't know. I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit. I was also half asleep when I sent you that message. And for some reason, I, in my fully awake state, still thought it was a good idea to talk about. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are talking about it. So yeah, that's just kind of something that I, I wanted to, to talk about um, and share, you know, my experiences with it. Um and understanding that it's an experience a lot of creative people have. I mean, you look at art, I, I know I'm about to start on Prince. You look at artists like Prince who, like, whenever some, whenever he released an album, there was probably already another one ready to be released. Like, that was his, that was his pace. That's not everybody's pace for sure. But there is quite a lot of that whole, okay, now it needs to be, it needs to be a cycle because if you release everything you have at once, you're not giving yourself time to promote the thing and giving people the time to really absorb it and take it in and letting that thing you created breathe on its own or giving it that space. 
And I think that's a, like, there's a big necessity in, in that way of, of, you know, not releasing three records a year, uh, <laughs> um, or releasing three demos in one day. And, uh, I feel a little bit like even I personally uh, create a backlog of content and I feel like I add to that more quickly than I can push it out. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. And it's not to say it's good or bad. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes I like remember why. It's important to uh, not just hastily do things because I think, uh, like for Sunday Crush, like yeah, we could have found someone who would release our record, you know, pretty immediately. Um, but was the contract right? Was it the right partner for us? Would we really be getting any benefit um, in in doing so? Because we're not at the point in our life as as a band. Uh, and here I am talking about a record I didn't even play on, but, you know, I still feel very close to. Uh, we're not at that point in a band where we can just kind of, like, surprise release something and anybody's going to get it. Like, it, we need to have that breathing time. We need to have our ducks in a row. We need to have a plan. And um, that's how I feel about uh, demos that I do as well. Like, so I'm releasing on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I have demos recorded out and edited and scheduled through at least December 18th, if not farther. Um, but I'm spacing them out because I want to give each one, you know, a day or two to get its own individual promotion. Um, I don't want subscribers to get a billion notifications from me. I don't really want them to get more than one video upload notification per day. Uh, cause I feel like at that point you're feeling annoyed, uh, by somebody. Um, and I just want them to get, be able to get that individual attention. So on one hand, it's like, I know why I'm doing this, but then there are people like songwriters who, you know, Brian, my friend Brian Simpson, uh, he is actually signed to a publishing house. So how that usually works is he has to deliver a certain number of uh, quality or acceptable quality to the publishing house. Um, a certain number of songs a month, a year. Uh, and when you're doing that, it's kind of inevitable that you're probably just going to straight up forget some of those exist. <laughs> And how wild it must feel five years later to have a number one hit with one of those songs. Because um, it was at that point, it's probably not even a lot of patience. Like you're probably told, like, "Oh, so and so has it on hold." That's very common for a billion songs in in Nashville. Oh, so and so's recording it. Uh, might not get released. Oh, it's getting released. It might not be a single. Oh, it's a single. It might not get charted. So there's just so much waiting for things that may never happen. And that's a big part of that. I think life. Right. And I think that's really um, interesting perspective into what the industry looks like behind the scenes. Yeah. Because I think that, I think one of the ways that that manifests itself in, uh, I think a really strange way is, <coughs> excuse me. 
you see like an artist who's passed away and songs get released uh, posthumous, uh, Posthum- posthumously. posthumously. Yes. Like Tupac is probably um, the most famous example of that. And that's just so wild to me that, I don't know, it's like, that's a different level than uh, like Renaissance painters who became famous like a hundred years after right. their death. Because it's not like they hadn't released their paintings. Well, yeah. No, that was, because a lot of that work was probably commissioned. Um, but like you see, like I see pictures of people in studios and you're like, oh, I didn't know that George Michael and Wendy Melvoy never did a song together. Oh yeah, they did. It just never got released. And now it might at some point or, but people like uh, Tupac and Prince were so prolific. I mean, Tupac was not just Mm -hmm. a rapper. He was, you know, a writer of many different types of things. He wanted to direct. He was a screenwriter. He was a very, he was apparently quite a skilled dancer and uh, Prince had, you know, a studio in his house, in every house he had basically since, I think, probably before 1999 was released, uh, probably before Dirty Mind was released. He always had the ability to just, like, wake up in the middle of the night or just not have ever been asleep in the middle of the night to begin with. And just, like, that was what he did. He just recorded music. So understanding that, like, sometimes part of the creative process is um you you write a bunch of songs when you were ultimately trying to write one song uh elvis costello's most well-known song probably is the song allison and uh he had uh released some demos uh, eventually as sort of like this companion disc to a reissue of his self-titled as his first record i should say my aim is true and one of those songs was called um imagination is a powerful deceiver i think and then another one was called stranger in the house and he said of those songs um that he was trying to write allison he just didn't know it yet so that's another part of the creative process is uh sometimes you create a lot of content that is you trying to reach for this thing that you don't even know exists yet but like it and it's it may never get released. So that that's, yeah, that's another part of the creative process. Um, and that's another part of waiting is waiting to get this, this sort of fire that's burning within you. And it's kind of putting a lot of pressure on your diaphragm and sort of an upwards motion, um, getting it out there in, in the way it's just trying to like form the right sentence and get the right melody. And sometimes it takes a while to write that song like it's funny they're always funny to me that you know uh, a song like allison has you know some basically predecessors and a lot of prince songs do as well there are plenty of prince b-sides out there and i'm sure there are a lot of prince fans who have heard way more of them than i have who could probably say very specifically like so when he was doing this it was a predecessor of him trying to write this other song and that experimentation is so important. Um, and it's another part of just art requires such patience. And I, I don't want to call my demos art because they are not. Uh, so just focusing on, on that element, you know, it's a lot of patience to make sure that uh, what you're doing is not only the way it's always meant to be or always was meant to be in your in your mind and in your heart, but that it also is the patience to to make sure that it has the room 
to succeed and be heard. Right, right. It's been a little less of a discussion and more of a just me thinking about something out loud for a minute while sipping on a gin and tonic. No, yeah. I don't see that there's anything wrong with that. No, I, I, I think it's a worthwhile concept to, to, to ponder and to, to wrap our minds around. I think one of the things that's been inter- interesting for me in uh, my songwriting is that I can revisit a song that I wrote years ago and decided not to record or do anything. And uh, it even just like sitting in the back of my brain, how much the context, context has changed and uh, how it's morphed and all of that. And I think the, one of the positive things I see about this is the way that this forced kind of patience uh, really illustrates how music is almost a living thing. Um, and I'm not going to say entirely that it is, but almost, I mean, the way that it morphs and interacts with our human experience, I think is something that's really beautiful not to get all hippie and stuff. Like I've, I've done a handful of times on the show, but I think there's, there's very much something to mm-hmm. that. That's very human, very real, very relatable. That's, we don't, that's not something that we get out of a, out of a top 40 overproduced. Right. But I mean, let's not, single. let's not, let's not on those cookie cutter singles. Just a little bit. Uh, they have their place. They, they, have their they place do have their place. And I'm not going to say that that's they are everyone on Britney Spears for saying that pop music is the hardest to write. She's right. Like she's not wrong. Like truly anyone can write a boring artsy song. Not everyone can do it well. <laughs> Pop music is the hardest music to write. It's the hardest to do well. It's the stuff where you listen to and you know the stuff that doesn't make any sort of test of time, you know, is it didn't hit quite hit that that chord, so to speak. It didn't it didn't quite get to the relatability across the human experience that oh, successful balls. pop songs do. Successful pop songs do that. Yeah, they do that. Yes, they do that. But even like just having an emotional connection to a song, like, and then hearing it 20 years later, and it doesn't have to be a good song for it to give you a fun emotional reaction that just like takes you back to being like 14 years old. I'm just saying art doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be like, good to matter. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be philosophical. It just has to connect with you one person anyway. And if it's good to like, uh, it doesn't have to be critic good. It doesn't have to get like 8.7 on pitchfork. I mean, some of my favorite Liz Fair records have like zero star reviews on pitchfork. <laughs> well, and, and, and to be clear, I, I, I am not against pop music just before anyone gets this idea of what the, the back of Andrew's mind is like. Because uh, you you don't want to know how much time my Spotify has spent listening uh, or playing uh, artists like uh, Kesha. I mean, uh, just just be... <gasps> Kesha's the best. <laughs> Kesha, who would awesome. say anything else? I've caught a lot of flack for that, and I refuse to take it. Yeah, um, no, no guilty pleasures. I will sh- on music all the time as a joke, mostly, but I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Own what you want. So I, I I'm not a fan of general statements as a whole. Uh, and so don't, don't misunderstand me for, for being just a pop hater. I know it came off like that for a second and I stand by what I said, but it's not a general statement. And there are plenty of pop artists that I love and enjoy. And I have a lot of nostalgic attachment to that. I don't have any explanation for. So yeah, Yeah. just wanted to 
clear the air there. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm. I guess um, to, to sort of tie tie this up in the next couple minutes. Um, I, I think that if if you're doing music or if you're doing art or if you're trying to start a podcast, like it took us like what ten months to actually start this podcast. It took us three or four months to actually release something after we recorded our first stuff. You know. Yep. So if, if so true. if you're like pursuing art or music or any sort of endeavor, demo channel or anything like that, like, uh, and it's taking you a lot longer than you want it to, uh, just know that you're not alone and, and things taking a while, especially to get started, especially to, you know, get right. Uh, I think it's important to keep in mind that it doesn't have to be perfect to be good uh, or to be releasable. Like if I like I'm doing the demo channel now and it's not perfect. It's so far from perfect. If I had waited until I felt like I could get it perfect, I never would have started it. And it's the same with the podcast. It's the same with anything I've ever participated in musically. It's never going to be perfect because that's just not something that you should try to achieve. My personal philosophy is get it to 80% and ship it. And, you know, I it's, pace pace yourself i think is kind of ultimately what i think a lot of patients in terms of the music industry is is making sure you you pace yourself so you don't get burned out right away for me it's like making sure i have a little bit of a backlog just or like i have a lot in the hopper just in case something happens and to you know give myself some grace if i like be easy on myself if i you know miss a week of something um it's you know mm -hmm. maybe not rushing to get things out when you, you know that you could do just a, when just spending a little bit more time on it will get it to a place where it can have more success um that's why i think kind of the 80 percent rule is about but like you know if, if you feel really strongly about something you've created and you think that it could do really well with the right support take the time to get that support, you know, take the time to get that distributor, take the time to find the right, you know, partner to go on tour with or uh, do a show with. Um, make sure you, you're trying to do it right, but don't kill yourself trying to do it perfect. Yes, this episode Fair was a lot enough. of me talking. So uh, I would say TLDR. Um, Instant gratification, uh, overrated, and if you don't have it, it I might. Oh my god! Very that's well literally might... one of our instant gratification is overrated. Is literally already one of our episode titles. <laughs> uh, it's overrated, and if you're not experiencing it, chances are that you're doing something right. So be encouraged. Yeah. Uh, you've got our support and our instant friendship. gratification. Instant instant gratification doesn't exist. It's so momentary. Yeah. It's my, my TLDR is don't feel down if things are taking a little bit longer than you want them to. That's my TLDR. Well, there we go. There we have it. Yes. There it is. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, as always, uh, please leave us a nice little review and rating on iTunes. Um, if you feel so inclined, uh, toss us one, two, five, ten dollars a month on Patreon. Uh, check out our shop at getoffsetpodcast.com slash shop. Uh, we have official logo merch, Profuzz Sake merch, et cetera. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. Until next time, uh, I have been Emily. And I am definitely Andrew. <laughs> Goodbye.
I'm gonna say goodbye, Andrew. One, two, three. Bye.